This is 100 Days of Dante, a podcast journey through Dante's divine comedy, one canto at a time. Join us online at 100daysofdante.com. Let's read together. Canto 20 of the Purgatorio can seem a bit much. So many illusions, so much French history, so much talking. There is a lot packed into this canto, so it's easy to feel bogged down as you're reading. But Canto 20, with its focus on the avaricious, or the greedy, has some really important ideas contained within it. You'll remember that in Canto 1 of Inferno, we first come face to face with the she-wolf that represents avarice at line 49. Quote, And now a she-wolf came, that in her leanness seemed racked with every kind of greediness, how many people she has brought to grief, unquote. It is the sight of the she-wolf that Dante says, quote, brought my spirit down so low with fear that seized me, I lost all hope of going up the hill. Notice those lines from Inferno are echoed here in Purgatorio in Dante's condemnation, found in lines 10 through 12, quote, may you be cursed, you age-old wolf who take more prey than any other beast to feed your bottomless appetite, unquote. For Dante, especially given his Franciscan commitments, greed is one of the most pervasive of sins. And in many ways, we can read Canto 20's excesses as mirroring the sin these penitents are working through. For example, we know that greed has indeed claimed many souls because Dante and Virgil have to wind their way carefully along this terrace as if they were, quote, hugging the battlements. There are just so many penitents here. Also note that Dante doesn't do anything just once in this canto. For instance, at the opening, he not only addresses the she-wolf, as we saw, but then he addresses the heavens. Later, Hugh Capet will do the same double addressing himself. By the way, the technical term for this kind of address to a person or a personified thing, like a she-wolf or the heavens, is called an apostrophe. Anyway, this happens over and over again, so watch for that throughout. With the theme of greed in mind, then, it also shouldn't surprise us that Dante Pilgrim begins this canto wanting more. Sure, it's more conversation with Pope Adrian, which concluded Canto 19, but it's a subtle reminder of the human desire towards wanting more than we should have. Though Dante reluctantly acknowledges Adrian's better judgment and moves on to follow Virgil, he begins this canto unsatisfied, just as the penitents among whom he walks were unsatisfied in life. Speaking of Canto 19, it is there where we are first introduced to the avaricious. As a reminder, we learn there that because the avaricious were so driven by the acquisition of earthly goods and by the pursuit of earthly aims like power, it, instead of going after heavenly things, these penitents are now bound, hands and feet, and lay motionless, stretched out face down towards the earth. In this posture of stillness, they tearfully contemplate their relentless chasing of all that the world deemed good. As we've seen elsewhere in Purgatorio, here in Canto 20, part of what the penitents spend time contemplating are good examples. They study people who were able to not do the thing they are now repenting for. 
people in this case who instead lived lives of virtuous humility and generosity. Starting, of course, with the Virgin Mary, humility herself, who did not seek status and gave birth to Jesus in the lowliest of places. After her comes a Roman example, Fabricius, and a Christian one, St. Nicholas. These examples are all provided by Hugh Capet, who ends up taking the bulk of the canto from lines 40 through 123 to narrate French history through his own family tree. Now, this long recitation of Hugh's wicked family and their doings can get overwhelming, especially if you try to figure out who's who and when things happened and whatnot. It's important to note that Dante's rendering here isn't totally in keeping with the historical record. If you're interested in the precise history, you shouldn't depend on Dante's version. Instead, I hope you're using a good edition. I like the Hollanders and Mark Musa's uh, and, and using other history texts to help you get the backstory right. But I don't actually think that historical accuracy is the point of Hugh's oration. Dante is writing a story after all. So even if you understand nothing about the Capetian dynasty, you can still take away several things from Hugh's long speech. Number one, notice his excess of storytelling. Hugh is repenting of his avarice on this terrace, but his style of speech still reflects the besetting sin of his life. We might say that he rather greedily takes up much of the canto with his talking. Two, one of Hugh's most important lines comes at the beginning of his recitation, where he says at line 43, quote, I was the root of the evil tree that casts its shadow over all the Christian lands, so that good fruit is rarely gathered there, unquote. This line is a direct echo of 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is the root of all evil. This verse is the very definition of avarice. As the root then of his family, Hugh is acknowledging how his choices towards wealth and power set the tone for generations to come. Three, thus, without even understanding the details of every Philip and Louis and Charles, we can see that this is a story of a deeply dysfunctional family one where greed has warped generation after generation, until finally members of this family are so awful that it has personal consequences, the willingness to sell a daughter, for example, as well as very publicly political ones, including the ruin of Italy, because of France's insatiable desires. The ways in which these French machinations in Italian politics played out, even as part of Dante's own exile, would have felt very personal to him. But more than that, the ripples of corruption go everywhere. Hugh concludes his speech by sharing with Dante that the penitents spend their days thinking on godly examples, but their nights remembering stories of other avaricious people. And while we get three examples of the good people in the canto's opening, perhaps unsurprisingly, there's a long list of the greedy. Eight examples jam-packed into 15 lines. This list, drawn from classical mythology and all parts of the Bible, Old Testament, Apocrypha, and New Testament, reminds us a final time that greed has always been around in all times and in all sorts of truly damaging ways. 
take a minute and unpack each story that Dante references to get a sense of the spectrum of greed he wants us to consider. But on Dante's road toward sanctification, it's critical that the canto doesn't end in grim stories of the greedy. Instead, an incredibly powerful earthquake rocks Dante and Virgil, followed by the singing of Gloria in excelsis Deo, glory to God in the highest. Many of us will be familiar with this Latin from Christmas carols, and it helps us understand the powerful takeaway from this canto. Yes, we are all touched by greed. It is awful and rapacious and damaging, personally and corporately. Most of us are pursuing money and possessions, status and acclaim, now as much as in Dante's time. Hugh's long story shows the way that greed for the wrong things misshapes individuals and families, kingdoms, and really the world. And yet, though Dante doesn't understand the earthquake yet in Canto 20, the Gloria that is sung is already telling us the antidote to greed, the life and work of Jesus. Hearkening back to the example of Mary at the Canto's opening, Dante ends the Canto by returning to the humility of Christ's birth to a lowly young girl in a humble place and then revealed first to ordinary shepherds. The invocation of the incarnation here reminds us, too, that the corrupt power of families, like the Capetians, will never endure. Instead, human systems are rectified and redeemed by a God who sends his own Son, and through Christ's death, invites sinners to become sons and daughters in the family of God. And for all the avaricious folks who have struggled with wanting the best, the most, only Christ's birth is the greatest, celebrated in the highest. The canto's ending writes there and our priorities, urging us towards the highest pursuit, the pursuit of Christ. Dante is confused by the earthquake, and he finishes the canto perplexed and humbled. But now his quest for knowledge is for the things of God rather than the things of earth. That's a vital lesson in Canto 20. Glory to God in the highest, indeed. Thank you for reading Dante's Divine Comedy with us. Continue the journey at 100daysofdante.com. 100 Days of Dante is brought to you by the Baylor University Honors College with support from the Torrey Honors College at Biola University, the Templeton Honors College at Eastern University, the University of Dallas, Whitworth University, and Gonzaga University in Florence.